Big Mac for breakfast. You've been listening to me, Big Mac for breakfast. Big Mac for breakfast. And uh, it's been a great show. Thank you so much for all your texts and song requests. And now I'm going to hand it over to Matt Skillington with his uh, latest episode of Matt Skillington's Skeleton Not. How you doing, Matt? Yeah, good. Thanks, mate. Um, thanks. Great stuff. Okay, who have you got on the show today, Matt? Uh, I'm going to be talking to uh, Lisa Clark, actually. Who? Uh, Lisa Clark. Absolutely never heard of her. Well, you, you might not have heard of her, but she's actually been connected to a lot of um, a lot of good stuff. She's been pretty important for comedy and its industry. And okay, Matt. Well, sorry. Uh, tune in tomorrow for Big Mac at breakfast. Big Mac for breakfast. Over to Matt Skillington Scloff. I don't know what it is. Believe it or not, I'm talking on air And I'm probably drinking tea Shooting the breeze in the hope that you care Who could it be? Believe it or not, it's just me Hello, Skillivers, non-Skillivers, and I hope soon to be Skillivers. As Big Mac said, I am Matt Skillington and this is Matt Skillington, Skillivers or not. On today's show, I'm talking to comedy producer Lisa Clark. Lisa has worked on a whole array of comedy shows, including The Big Breakfast, TFI Friday, Spaced, Shooting Stars, House of Fools, Big Night Out. She's done a lot of stuff with Vic and Bob, and the three of them um, formed a production company called Pet Productions, which we do talk about in the show. I'm a big fan of Lisa Clark. She's a very lively woman. Um, she's been very supportive of our comedy group, Selden Differ, throughout the years. And speaking of which, if you do care but announce about Selden Differ, you might be interested to know that, uh, well, like I said in the last podcast, we have finished our pilot episode that we've been working on for years on end. Uh, but that is finished now. It's not slapped all over the sociables. But if you would like a link to watch that show, then do get in touch either through the podcast facebook page matt skillington skeleva or not the facebook page or seldom differ comedy um on facebook and drop us a message and we will give you a link to watch that anyway enough about me and my great show this is lisa clark oh actually before i go just a small plug big enough to plug up a bird bath maybe a friend of mine tom pitts and his outfit old that's a-u-l-d uh are releasing a album and they've got an album launch on the 20th of february at paper dress vintage so if you can if you want to come down to that please do i'll be there that's the most important thing but i'll leave a link as well um for you to click to get tickets if you want to book in advance they'll be playing there but i'm going to play one of his tracks at the end of the show so stick around till the end of the podcast and um you can listen to one of their tracks this is lisa clark I was trying to fill this the other day. Oh, Phil. I really like Phil. When we did Funs and Games with Phil, he was such a fantastic host. He was Michael Barrymore-esque. Yeah. Without drowned blokes in pools. He really was. <laughs> he was well, so sure. good, he blew us away. And then, you know, then it goes from department to department and nothing happens with it. And, you know, it was, it was a pilot. And with more input, I think it could have been something. I really like Phil. I think it's nice that... Fun. Old Vegas seems to be taking him under his yeah. a little bit. And, and that's what you need sometimes. You need yeah. someone to champion you. Because I saw him on... They did the comedy roast together the other day. Did you see that? Yes, I've seen a clip of it. I only saw the clip. But I was like, oh, that's good. Yeah. It's funny that with the comedy roast. Because it's been around for years, hasn't yeah. it? 
And I've watched some of the American ones, and you know, that's you kind of go, whoa, you know, it is. I think the Americans have got it down a bit better. I don't know, I think the British may be a bit too polite. I personally find it uncomfortable to watch. I just, it's just not for me. I know it does really well for Comedy Central, it's just not for me. I don't like it. I suppose it's like you go in knowing full well that everyone's to, totally. to, to be abused. But I don't like watching that. Right. I suppose I like, I like really stupid comedy. It was really interesting over Christmas. My son's now 19. No. And he, yeah. And he took it upon himself. He said, I want to rewatch House of Fools. So he downloaded it from Amazon. I think it was like six pounds or nine pounds. And he watched every single app from the pilot series one, series two. And I have to say that the stuff in series two still, it's so funny. There's this brilliant mm. bit where it's Alex Lowe actually comes in. I think he might be a police officer. I'm not sure. But he says, um, who are you making this show for? Because we constantly sort of broke that fourth wall. So who's this show for? And um, Vic says BBC Two. He said, oh, I'm fine. I thought it was CBeebies. <laughs> you sure it's not CBeebies? And Vic goes, no, 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 it's, it's BBC Two. And Alex just goes, shit, really? And he's just like, <laughs> is this for CBeebies? It just, and that's what, I don't know how old that is. It really made me laugh. And Morgana's brilliant in it. Oh, I love Morgana, yeah. She's fantastic in it. Um, so I watched accidentally while I was cooking over Christmas in the kitchen. I watched every single app of House of Fools again. Were you, I mean, I loved House of Fools because I'm from an era, I think, where I'm, I love Vic and Bob because I kind of grew up with them. Yeah. And then there was a gap and then House of Fools came along. Do you think it was purely aimed at a generation that loved Vic and Bob or do you think, because some of the stuff in there, I think they're made more relevant to a younger generation. Do you, do you think they're trying to include everyone in there? I don't know. It, when you, when there was one particular episode that had, it was about uh, Bob losing his wig, and it had a little remote control animal that I think had either eaten his wig, I can't remember, that was going through the different apartments, going through walls. There was VT of the Wig Wear of the Year competition. <laughs> there was, there was so many special effects, and I, I watched it, and I remember saying to my son, I said, God, this was so. This is so complicated. He said, Yeah, it is. And he was looking at it from a viewer's point of view, but I was looking at it from a producer's point of view. There were so many bits in that particular show. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I I don't think I don't think it was ever aimed at anyone specifically. I think it was just stupid and, from for yeah. my mind, funny. And did your son enjoy it? Yeah, he loved it. Okay, that's. He's really laughing. And then we ended up watching all the Matt Berry does on iPlayer. Yeah. Um, and That's another Pet Productions Yeah, It is, yeah. Uh, that was where Matt Berry revoiced. I mean, it's so <laughs> rude. Oh, is that with the wolves? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but the best one is um, the came, the rowing race. Okay. It's, and it's, we had ducks and they had signs on their heads just saying, come. <laughs> it's just like... And, uh, no, it's very funny. And actually, you can see Bob's metamorphosis of funny names because they go along a picture, an old Cambridge picture, and Bob... Oh, Matt's voices, Bob's written it, who the people are. So it's like, you know, Big Love La John. And, you know, <laughs> I can't think what some of them were now, but um, he loves Daddy it, Ketchup <laughs> and things like that. And yeah, so we enjoy watching that as well. We had a bit of a nostalgic Christmas. And that's available on uh, Amazon. That's on iPlayer. iPlayer. But House of Fools is on, I on Amazon and all the Matt Berry does is stuff on iPlayer. And it is funny. Yeah, he's... Oh man, he's really good, isn't he? Yeah, he's brilliant. He's in... Um, is he in What We Do in the Shadows, a new series? He's doing this thing called 
Rabbit or something, where he's playing a detective. I think it's an American co-pro. He's doing that. Is that about the... He's doing one about Brexit as well, I think. Correct. Is that the same it's, one? It's, no, different one. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, he's doing yeah. well. And he bloody deserves it, Lisa. Yes. Um, but you have worked on a hell of a lot of stuff. Yes. I mean, to name a few, like you mentioned, Big Night Out. You not mentioned that, but House of Falls, Vic and Bob's Big Night Out, Shooting Stars, Coogan, The Inside Story, Titty Bang Bang, Monkey Trousers, Big Breakfast, Don't Forget Toothbrush, Catterit, Spaced, Morton and White House, Gone Fishing that you're working on right now, Series 2. Before that, you recruited by Network 7, I believe. What is Network 7, I hear you scream? Network 7 was a short-lived but influential youth music and current affairs programme screened on Channel 4 over two series in 1987 and 1988. Yeah. As a journalist. Yeah. How did that happen? Aha! At the sweet age of 20? Yeah. Tw- uh, 20? Tw- 21? 22? Yeah. I, um, I was a journal... I, I got work experience at Just 17 magazine, which used to be on Carnaby Street. And was that aimed at? 17, like yes, you, you there were smash hits in Just 17, they were the mags. So I've got work experience in Just 17 magazine and Jane Goldman was working on it, Jonathan Ross's wife, before she married him. And I wanted to get into telly, so I said to Jane, can I meet Jonathan and can I get a job on The Last Resort? And she said no. <laughs> but she said um, she was doing freelance work with Rick Skye, who is the gossip columnist on the Daily Star. Is that his real name? Yep. No, I don't know, actually. Rick Sky. Rick Sky. Rick Sky. And he was doing gossip on the Daily Star magazine. So she said, well, come and meet him. So I met him. He said, do you want a job? So I started working on the Daily Star showbiz column. And I believe I broke Johnny Hates Jazz in terms of bringing them... I think they had two hits, maybe yeah. three. Okay. Uh, and so I worked on the Daily Star. And then the son poached Rick Sky to go and run the gossip column on The Sun, Bizarre, was the column. Yeah. And Rick took me with him. So I got a staff job when I was 20, 21 at The Sun, which was extraordinary in many different ways under Kelvin McKenzie. And I'd been there for about six, nine months, I think, hanging on, because it was quite a rough environment. And there was an advert in The Guardian media pages for Network 7. So I applied and... We had to do an on-screen audition and an interview, obviously, and um, I got the job. And I'm still very, very friendly with Charlie Parsons to this day, because then Charlie took me for... Charlie said, I think... He said one of my reports was the worst piece of television he'd ever seen. I think (laughs) the others weren't much better. Oh, shit. But what were you you doing, like, some I did some big... I I did uh, Death Row in America. I went to Louisiana and visited the inmates on Death Row. And I did an item on torture. And you were tw- 22 at this point? Yeah. Wowzers. And I did... I think we tried to desensitise some Michael Jackson fans. And the way we did that is we did some hypnotherapy with them and then we had their Michael Jackson tickets, show tickets. We ripped them up in front of them, pretendy, to see if we desensitised them. <laughs> we hadn't. <laughs> <laughs> it was great. I loved Network 7. It was brilliant. And then, um, and then from Network 7, I went, I believe, to Ruby Wax. I was a Ruby Wax for two or three years. So when she was under Janet Street Porter, Death 2 Strand, we did um, Wax on Wheels. No, it wasn't. I mean, anyway, we did Wax on Wheels. We did The Full Wax, which was her entertainment show, and some other stuff. I was with Ruby for quite a while. 
Um, and what were you doing with Ruby then? Were you doing the same kind research, of... No, I was researching. I was work. a little bit on camera on Wax on Wheels because the sort of conceit was that she was on a bus with her team in the back. So we were sort of a bit on camera. Because I, I, I wanted to be on camera. I wanted to be a presenter, like a Blue Peter presenter or something like that. But um, I wasn't good enough. So there you go. And then, so yeah, from then, from Ruby. And then Charlie um, asked me to come and do the very first Big Breakfast. So I did the very first Monday show ever. So you went from death row to... Yeah. Big Breakfast <laughs> via Ruby Wax. And were you... <laughs> was it Ruby Wax that got, you more in, that got you more into the comedy thing? Were you always a fan of like... Yeah. Comedy? I think there's this really interesting lesson actually. Well, I find it relatively interesting in that I wanted to be like, you know, your Kate Aidy. Right. And my dad used to buy me Newsweek magazine so that I could absorb world affairs and politics and stuff. But instead of reading that, I'd read the tabloids or just 17 or smash it. And I got offered a place at London College of Printing to do journalism or Portsmouth Poly to do Russian and Soviet studies with a year in Moscow, which I then would have done a postgrad in journalism. And then I would have been stationed in Moscow reporting for the BBC in my mind. But then sort of a week before I thought, oh, sod it now, I want to go to London. And I, and I knew, even though I thought it'd be great to, you know, work to do politics and do something serious, I think you just know where your heart lies in... You just thought... You know, I suppose I always was a class clown and I was always, you know, I'm always looking for the funny and everything. And so I just sort of followed my heart, I suppose. Um, and I've never written any... Well, I have written a little bit of comedy, but not proper. I just... I just, I just, just, It's great being in an industry that genuinely makes you laugh. See, I... Often, so I was at uh, the era where I was watching Big Breakfast and it was one of the things that potentially could make me late for school. Yeah. Because... I thought it was fucking brilliant. Yeah, yeah, I was genuinely devastated when it when it ended. Mm. Um, and but it looked. I always remember thinking it looks like so much fun to be on. Yeah. Now <clears throat> I don't know whether that's an illusion because <laughs> I imagine it was a lot of early starts and a lot of mm. probably Chris. Which which era were you at? Was it the start? Chris and Gabby. Chris I was and Gabby. Well, how's this? Right at the very beginning. Was it as fun as it looked, or was it quite devastating? <laughs> No, do you know what? It was fun in the... I mean, it was really, really, really hard work. You did six days a week. And the night before your show, you'd be up all night. Because you had a meeting at four o'clock in the morning. And then <clears throat> to be on air for seven at the location. So it was it was really hard work. I don't think I could do it now. But it was... I mean, in terms of... It was great fun in terms of teams. Because you had this big desk. And you only had one researcher. So I was a producer. And... Gary Monaghan was one of my researchers. Me and Gary got on brilliantly. So you'd have Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday in a line. You sort of say, well, you got, what have you got? You know, what have you got for that bit on uh, Wednesday? You know, not having that. It was just, it was nice. It was, it was good fun. It was great. It was a really good vibe to it because it started off quite slowly and it was a really good um, atmosphere and Paula was there and it was good fun. Um, hard work, but good fun and a lot of camaraderie, a lot of mates made, um, what were the rap parts like? I imagine there isn't. Yeah, we some we did go to the pub quite often after a show, at what? kind of ten o'clock. <laughs> yeah, I never been. Such a working day, like what, yeah, exactly. I mean, what time you're up? It must have been five-ish or something. Well, as I say, night before the show, all night, and then normal office hours, getting work slowly heavier as the week progressed towards right. your show. Um, God, no, I mean, I wouldn't change it for anything. And it was, it was, it was a laugh. It was good. So I met my husband as well. But um, <clears throat> it was good fun. And then, you know, there were tense times. Live, two hours every day. Yeah. Amazing. I got through so many fags. 
<laughs> and were you so you were, were you producer? Mm. Were you um, just constantly running from around the house to different? Areas? Yeah, kind of. I mean, mostly mostly your area was where the French windows were, so the living room where Chris and Gabby were. That was really where you were stationed because then you cut to a VT in the bathroom with Zig and Zag. Oh, that's right. Yeah, <clears throat> you cut upstairs to Paula. You cut to the family of the week who were in the kitchen, but someone else would be looking after. You'd have an AP on that item, so you know you were just sort of the central hub of trying to control it all. From, but it was brilliant to be able to do, to be reactive. I think that when it hit its stride, I remember it wasn't my show, but um, we had chickens there, and the chickens were uh, eaten by foxes overnight, and we had Group Four security down at the house. And that that team that day made a big thing about Group Four and how crap they were, and they in a fun way. So they made the whole thing about these chickens going. So and you can be reactive like that, and it was fun. And there was mm. sort of it was it, yeah, it was good. There was guests coming in and out. Um, well, you'd often get caught on camera as well, wouldn't you? Like the cameraman or every. It's, yeah. it felt like everyone was involved in that yeah. sense. It was like a bit of a, a community. Definitely. Um, LWT. Mm. You, how do you go from Big Breakfast then to being um, head of comedy yeah. at LWT? Yeah. What happened there? Not sure. Where's the gap? <laughs> I don't know what I did in between that. Blackout. <laughs> no, it must have been, oh, it would have been, don't forget your toothbrush. That's right, so you went so, over there. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> but yeah. you went over there off the back of Big Breakfast. Did I? Did you? No, I think I did Don't Forget Your Toothbrush in the meanwhile. Sorry, no, I mean Big Breakfast 2. Oh, yeah, Chris then asked me to do Don't Forget Your Toothbrush. Yeah. Don't Forget Your Toothbrush was... Again, another two, show three. that I enjoyed. Toothbrush was brilliant. Was that intense? Yes, very, very, very. That was live, weekly, one hour, Saturday night. And, yeah, um, Chris was at the height of his sort of creativity and excitement. And, uh, no, it was incredibly intense. Really, really, really. And then I think I just had um, my son and I went to, Nigel Lithgow asked me to go in to be head of comedy at LWT and it was, it was a really exciting era. Sean Ed William had just started as controller of comedy at ITV and I, I will, I'll never forget, I had this, they used to do offers back then so you'd have a range of proposals that you offer to ITV and I remember, funnily enough, I remember when I quit, I listed out the projects that ITV had rejected for one reason or another and they involved... So Bill Bailey, Armstrong and Miller. I'm not even. I can't remember the rest of the list, but they were good yeah. ideas. Good. Well, I thought they were good ideas. Good star potential. Um, and I, I just couldn't. ITV. I don't know. It was different times. I don't know. Anyway, that's what happens with proposals and ideas. But I couldn't get anything away. And interestingly, one of the big, sh- one of the shows, my absolute passion piece was something called the All Star Comedy Show, which I know Sean Ed was totally behind as well. And that was essentially instead of just doing it on Comet Relief or Children in Need or whatever, you get all these big stars to play together, different sketches. That was the all-star comedy show. Mm. Um, and we teamed up with Baby Cow. Not when I was at LWT. At LWT, I just did it as, you know, let's get Ronnie Corbett with Steve Coogan and do a sketch. Um, and it didn't, it didn't get off the ground at ITV. And I think when that didn't get off the ground, I think I was like, look, I, I don't know what else to do. I kind of give up, and I left. And when... I think I then went on to... I think I was at the BBC doing All Rise and then John Plowman, I think it was John Plowman said, did I want to go and do this Families at War with Vic and Bob? So 
that's when I met Vic and Bob and we did Families at War and then we did Shooting Stars and then we set up our own company I'm getting somewhere with this and one of the first Pet Productions I believe was it? Yeah to put, put yeah. it into timeline Yeah So you uh, so that's when you met Vic and Bob at Families at War Yeah Families at War I was, was asked to produce their pilot It was quite it, was inter- it went on to be a series right? Mm. And it was quite I'm right. I think it was quite risque because of the time slot it was in was it, it was well it was sort of it was um the point being, by the way, the all-star comedy show became Monkey Trousers. Uh, when we were at Pet, yes. I took it back to Sean at ITV and said, I'm coming in with Baby Cow, we're going to do this idea. And we did it. And we did, uh, we did two shows, two, two standalone shows that rated quite well. And then we did a series. I don't know if we did one or two series, but it was exactly what I wanted it to be. Lots of different stars. Yeah. But somebody in the industry said to me, I thought it was just like one big wank. You were just showing the sort of people you could get together and that's why you're doing it. And it wasn't. But anyway, no, I thought it was great. It that was, was it was different. Friends. I mean, it's different. It was different. It was it was slightly risky in a sense, and it was different. But we had John Sim in it. We had, I mean, my God, the stars we had in it: twenty-five, thirty A-list names in different little sketches. Loved it. Mackenzie Crook, uh, Neil Morrissey, John Sim, Jane Horrocks. Um, oh, just some superb Coogan, Corbett. Uh, did Martin Clunes do one? I can't remember. Anyway, John Thompson. Coogan and Corbett. Yep. They did a sketch in a post office, for post office as I recall. So yeah, so then um, when I was doing um, Families at War, I just instantly connected with Jim and Bob, really. I remember we were in a, we were in a rehearsal room, we were having a coffee or something, and one of them was eating a pack of Revels, <laughs> and they got the orangey one. She went, what a cunt! I fucking hate orange fucking Revels! So we ended up lobbing rebels, rebels at the wall, and I just thought, yeah, this is fun. So yeah, we did families at war, and it was it was uh, it was nuts. Bob and I looked back at it the other day, the other month on YouTube. And what were we doing? There was Alice Beer in this sort of slightly jaunty leather hat <laughs> that, when she issued a challenge, she'd say "Pars Par Two. I mean, people must have been coming back from Tesco with their shopping, expecting Jim Davidson and Big Break, and they got Jim and Bob with these families and Alice Beer. It was nuts, but. One of the best end games ever invented. Yeah. The Cubiscus, where one of them was a spider and the other one was a fly. And they, it was like a giant grabbing machine from a fairground. And they'd have to grab the prizes. And we soon realised that you could grab a prize, but it was really hard to put it down the chute if it was a long one. Yeah. So the amount of sort of golf sets. We, and everything that went down the chute, basically went down the chute and was kind of got knackered anyway. It was really good fun. I think that Cubiscus, I think it was Ian Coyle. He, I'm sure that it was his idea to do that big cage because he worked on it. Anyway, it was fantastic fun. Yeah. Loved it. And then you did Shooting Stars with him. Mm. That's a great I show. I loved that. Such a good show. Oh, it was good fun. Really. But again, Bob and I, we were laughing the other day about a sketch we did with Jack D. <laughs> and he was a detective. And there was a dead body. And Jack could work out what happened to the dead body via the gift of a massive stuffed eagle on his arm. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That he then he did that, he put it up and down the body to work <laughs> yeah. out what was wrong with it. But I kind of love that. I mean, it, yeah. I know you either get it or you don't, but even if it, on, on one level, it's just, it's stupid, it's funny, it makes you giggle. Yeah. There's never any message in anything they do. There's never... I think that's the joy in it, is they never take it too seriously, nope. and that's a nope. great way of approaching it. Yeah. I've been with them now, it'll be about 21 years, which is nuts when you think about it. Yes. Yeah. But it shows, like, <clears throat> and I think it's a great bond to have because I obviously I was lucky enough to do a little bit on Big Night Out on the yeah. pilot and just being down there and we did a little bit on House Falls. 
mm. seeing your relationship. Yeah. It's quite a sight to behold when, because I, but I think it works. I don't know. You can almost sense what you, you each other's thinking and they'll, yeah. look, they'll look up to you and throw, throw something at you and then you respond in the yeah. correct manner. Yeah. <laughs> but it, there seems to be some kind of fluidity there. So yeah, well, I suppose it's been earned over twenty over those twenty years. Yeah, and you know, we still we still might disagree on certain things, um, but I've never ever had an argument or a crossword with, from or to or with either of them ever in twenty really? years. Nope, never, 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 never. No, because I think there's a level of respect there. If they do something, they say, no, I promise, I promise this to be funny, we want to do it. I go, go, okay, do it. That's fine. And also, they know they can rely on me. If they say, I mean, they rang me up and said, can we get a horse in the hospital club? I said, well, I don't know, but, <laughs> you know, I'll find out. And we did get a horse in the hospital club. Yeah. Up in the lift. It wouldn't go on the stage. Were you at that show? Yes. yes. Um, but so, you know, I'll never turn around to them and say, no, I won't do that. I'll always say, yeah, absolutely, let's do it, you know, and... And yeah, we just kind of agree on, we do generally agree. And I, I genuinely find them very, very funny. There are some bits that I don't, because I never watched Big Night Out. Because I didn't watch Big Night Out because I was doing the big breakfast. So I remember when Jim and Bob, it was the height of Big Night Out's bignessness. And um, Will McDonald was doing Wednesdays, I believe, and he had them on the show and I didn't know who they were. And I've never, oh. and like, Bob was, when we were doing this last series of Big Night Out, there was a character that, trying to think who it was, I didn't know who, you know, everyone was like, whoa, that character. Oh, yeah. Well, I didn't know. Is it the guy um, with the big forehead and the dog? <laughs> that doesn't really narrow it down. No, exactly. But, um, so yeah, you know, I'm not like, well, oh, everything you do is funny. Yeah, yeah. There's certain bits I don't find funny, but if they want to do it, fine. Yeah. Most of the time. And this was, because you senior commissioner at the BBC? Mm, I was. That was prior to Pet. Yeah. That was good fun. Because that was when Stuart Murphy was in control, uh, controller of BBC Choice that became BBC Three. Lucy Lumsden was there. Um, I think Jane Root was a controller of Two, and Lorraine Hegarty was a controller of BBC One. Yeah, it was good fun. I can't remember what I did. But when you when you get these jobs, obviously you've you've earned them. But you ever like fuck? I've got a this is this is quite a bit of responsibility. Nah, no, not not really responsibility. <laughs> kind of. I've done two commissioning jobs and I didn't really stay, I think I did about a year and a half maybe in both. It's not, I like making shows. I don't like, I remember I, w I was in sh uh, looking after the Patrick Kilty chat show and I went to the record and then I sent the production team my edit notes and it was literally like I was in the edit. It was minute by minute. And the director who I knew, I think, it, yeah, Stephen Stewart said to me, you don't really need to do that, that's kind of our job. I'm like, oh shit, yeah, sorry, you know, I, I wasn't very good at, yeah, I just wasn't, I like to produce, I like to be on the studio floor and I like, I like doing, I like doing Maybe what I do. It stems from you wanting to be in death row rather than being at home writing, but you wanted to go there and do it. Yeah. You want to be on the field. Lisa. Yeah. Just to give you a little, a little break. I've got a really, really famous game on, on this show, Matt Skeleton and Skeleton It or Not. Is the name What's of it called? Uh, Skeleton It or Not. The podcast oh, I see what you did. It's Matt Skeleton 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 yes. or Not. Really. Skeleton. That's brilliant. You hope it's going to get picked up. I wish you were still working in the commissioning department because I think <laughs> this, this Would it show, fly? It would fly. Okay. Um, I'll be the judge of that. The, <laughs> and the game is called Matt Skeleton and Skeleton It or Not. 
the yes. game. Yes. And just to be real quick with the premise, people who are listening know about the game. I told you before, Hasbro have been in touch. Yeah. It's all kicking off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's really simple. I basically ask you, well, I don't ask you, I, I say this every time, I get it wrong every time. <laughs> I'm going to say five statements. Okay. Wow, this is intense. And basically, um, you have to scleave what I've just said. Or, mm. or not. Scleave it. Or, or not. Or not. Fucking yeah. clever. So, um, let's, let's play the theme tune. Would you scleave it and map the game? Would you scleave it and map? To make this fair, Lisa, and to make sure I've not tried to trick you anyway, I'm going to ask you to give me a number between one and five. <laughs> four. I immediately regret this decision. Um, one, two, three, four. Okay, avocados are poisonous to birds. Scalive. You scalive it that quickly? Yep. What makes you so confident? Just the breadth of knowledge I have. Do you think it's because of the giant pip that they might choke on? Or <laughs> no, I think it's the, the greenness. Yeah? Well, actually... You're right to scalive yes. it because it is absolutely 100% <laughs> scalable. They avocados contain a toxin called persin. Persil. Persin. <laughs> right. And only a certain species of animals uh, are poisoned by persin. Uh, dogs and cats are all right, but the bigger ones, such as cows and goats and sheep, are. Uh, you yeah. said birds. Can't have it. And birds. Yeah. The bigger ones, cows, sheep, and fucking big birds. Yeah, yeah. To be fair, <laughs> birds. <laughs> Well, parrot, I think, was the main one. I don't know why <laughs> Pick a number between one and five, but not four. Two. The first pair of sandals ever made consisted of a very strong, resilient German cheese. Now think about it before you answer. Because the thing is with these, you never know, do you? I do, it's or not. Or not? Mm. You don't think that's believable in the slightest? No, because Jesus invented sandals. Jesus. Mm-hmm. That is. And he was allergic to dairy. And avocados, yeah. And no, you're avocados. absolutely, that's correct. Yes, two out of three. Two out of five. Ah, you can't two, get me. You do well, I've done yeah. too many shooting stars questions. Yeah. I've got yes. one for you. Name a junction on the, um, <clears throat> name a junction on the M25. Four. Oh, so close because it was seven. <sighs> Never mind. It was close. You were going to do me the way, weren't you? That's the, yeah. <laughs> I'll see where this is going. Okay, one... One. In 1386, a pig was executed for the murder of a child in France. Oh, yeah, Scalib. Scalibable? Yep. Sorry, Scalibable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <clears throat> Without a doubt. You Scalib it? Yeah. You're right to Scalib yeah. it. It's a 100, 100% Scalibable. This is. You do really well. I thought you'd do well with this due to the shooting stars questions. Uh, slightly different, though. You know, I've changed it for, so I don't get done for copyright reasons. Yeah, it helps. Um, Okay, rats and horses can't vomit. Rats and horses cannot vomit. It's very, very good. And I skilleve it. It's skilleveable. Yes, Lisa. <laughs> yeah, she's Absolutely true. They just, they just don't have the... Yeah, well, have you ever seen a horse vomit? No, but I've never... Yeah. There you go. That's no. true. What was the other one, a horse or what? Rat. <laughs> right. Never seen a rat vomit. Well, rats don't, if you think about it, if you're trying to kill a rat, you put down poison, yeah? Yeah. Now, they go along and eat it. If they could vomit... It'd be pointless. And have you ever seen a bulimic rat? No. No? So they don't suffer from bulimia and... 
Right. It's, 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 you know, it's a bloody good point. It's a bloody good point. Okay. Yeah. Fifth and final question. Yeah. I've got to get this. I'm feeling quite tense. This will be full. No one has ever done a full house before. Oh, don't say that just before this. So, don't change the question. I'm not changing it. Okay. I'm having it down. Condoms were originally designed to hold paintbrushes. No, I'm afraid it's all not. It's a full house, Lisa. You've done absolutely fantastic. <laughs> well done. First one ever. Yeah. Thank you very much for playing Matt Skellington's Believe It or Not, the game. Would you believe it or not, the game? Would you believe it or not? <laughs> do I get a prize? You do. Yeah, I'm going to send it in the post. Um, <laughs> you need, still need to get me that address. Um, Lisa, <laughs> listen. Um, yes. Look, this is common knowledge. So, oh, God. Uh, five months in to Top Gear. Oh, God. You left. We don't we have did. to talk about why you left, but you went on Top Gear, the reboot of Top Gear mm. with <laughs> Chris Evans. Mm. Um, and you left after five months, mm. and it became mm. a bit of a, a new story mm. then, because... Did you speak to reporters, or oh, was it reported? God, no, no. Because it kind of all came out, didn't it? No, I know. No, I was um, no, I was at home, and I had people contacting me, calling me, mates, saying, "Oh, you're on the sidebar of shame." And I said, "What's the sidebar of shame?" I didn't even know. And it was because the Daily Mail were just running anything they could, um, and they came round to the house once or twice a week. And what, the, the, the reporters, yeah. Wow. Scary how quick they can find out where you live. Um, I, never, I never spoke to any of them. I had journalists ringing me the whole time. I just tried to keep my head down. But I think I, I knew, I knew in the back of my mind that they were going to make a big thing out of it when I left. I knew they would. I knew it. And I sort of head down, waited, nothing happened. Then it kind of did explode. And uh, why do you think it's so such a big so is it because it's the reboot of Top Gear it's Chris Evans yeah I think I think there's loads of reasons why um, I think Top Gear was just such a massive story it always had been when the boys were doing it when Jeremy <coughs> Richard and mm. um, James yeah. were doing it <coughs> it was a massive story whatever they did and, and then when they when the BBC didn't renew their contracts or what happened with them three that was huge and it was huge as to who was going to take over and then it was Chris and that was huge and um, and did Chris specifically ask for you then? yeah from the back of yeah <laughs> Big Breakfast and TFI Friday yeah and Toothbrush yeah and Toothbrush oh TFI Friday were... I did a bits on TFI yeah, Friday yeah, yeah as well um but no, there was this thing, I remember there was this thing on, someone wrote this thing on Facebook about how difficult Chris was to work with or something. Mm. And my husband put a comment underneath it, uh. thought nothing of it. And it was day, page three of The Sun the next day. The executive producer's husband wades into row, you know, and he just put a comment on and then you realise, shit, they are really monitoring everything. That's crazy. Yeah, it was. It was horrible, actually. Yeah. It wasn't very nice. Um, and it was just really important for me then to move on from it. Um, yeah, but then, yeah. of course, the I, I, then of course it kept it kept the stories just kept on coming because then it was all Matt, then it was all the cenotaph and all of that. I'd gone by then, mm. um, but putting Mac on, Matt on the show was my idea, which I'm very proud of actually. Oh, okay. <clears throat> yeah. Um, didn't secure it before I left. 
but yes, and I think now, hopefully now, it's another new era, and hopefully, because yeah. I kept saying to the head of press at the BBC, you know, when I was being followed and all this, it's like, it's a bloody motoring show. It's a motoring <laughs> magazine show on BBC Two, for God's sake, and it yeah. just, it was horrible. Didn't enjoy that at oh, all. Oh, that's sad. Didn't enjoy any, it wasn't very nice. Well, that's sad to hear, Lisa. Yeah, it was sad. But. Sad times. Fuck it. Indeed. You're moving on. What did I do after? Oh, I did Eurotrash. What, the reboot of Mm. Eurotrash? So you went through an era of reboots. Mm. Eurotrash. It was great fun with Antoine Ducan and and Jean-Paul Gaultier, who are fantastic. Adorable and fantastic and funny and great. And that was brilliant fun. And legitimately French? Yeah, 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 yeah. I always thought you said it was... No, no, brilliant. Loved that. Did that. Can't think what I did after Eurotrash. Oh, and then I did um, Eric Idle's The Entire Universe. Oh, yes. Which was fantastic with Eric Idle, Brian Cox, Warwick Davis, Noel Fielding, Hannah Waddingham. It was brilliant. Loved it. Mad musical about the birth of the universe. Absolutely loved it. And then I did Dame Shirley Bassey with David Williams. So the rest of that year was great. There's a lot about you. Worked with some fantastic people. I have uh, actually some absolute comedy legends. Mm. And before we stop talking about uh, Pet mm. um, Pet Productions, you've done a few things then. Do you, I was thinking about this the other the other night because I was watching uh, Bo Selector. Oh yeah, which I loved. Yep, great show. Yep, great. One thing I, I never thought really worked was the Ricky Gervais uh, character because I think it's quite difficult to spoof an already uh, comedy character. Yeah. Uh, but his outfit was like obviously the, the big mask etc. And he had boxing gloves on. Now I think a lot of people wouldn't get that reference watching it now, but it was it was the reference of mm, Rich celebrity boxing. Celebrity yeah. boxing. Yeah. Now, what? What the I, fuck was that about? Yes, that's great fun. It was Bob's idea. He wanted to do it for sport release. <laughs> of course, so he, it was. Yeah, he fought Les Dennis and won, and then <clears throat> we sort of <laughs> ploughed it through the BBC, and we were doing a series because John Pienaar was lined up to fight on the series, <laughs> which would have been immense. So we did Grant Bovey and Ricky Gervais, which I don't think I've ever been... That was the longest... I can't remember if it was one or two or three minutes how long it was, but that last round, it was fucking... Dead. They were going for it. Yeah. And I know they both wanted to win. I was like, oh, there was... And, you know, as I drove into TV centre that day, there's an ambulance parked, we were ready. <laughs> <clears throat> you do half, you just think, what the fuck are you doing? Well, it was well, great fun. I hear, I think this is from Bob's mouth himself, that he fought... Ricky. Ricky. Yeah. But it was never... No, it was part of the training thing. Anywhere. No, I've got it on tape at my house. So it is at your house? It is at my house. So when I come round to drop this prize off... You can see the tapes. VHS. Okay. It was brilliant. Bob gave Ricky a black eye. Did he? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, because apparently Bob, he was like, you need someone to train, and Bob went, I'll fight him. Yeah. (laughs) That was great fun. I love Bob. Um, Listen, Lisa, I've got to ask you this, the bombshell question. Ooh. You've gone through, you've been through, uh, you've done a hell of a lot of stuff. You've been through, you've been through a lot of comedians. <laughs> you've been through it while I didn't want to. We've <laughs> married for 22 uh, years. That is bombshell question. To a lovely husband, you've got lovely kids. <laughs> You're a marathon runner. Um, a marathon runner. Just the one. Just, I mean, that's enough. Yeah, actually. One more than me. Yeah. Um, are you proud of yourself? You can say, are you pregnant? Um, <laughs> uh, am I proud of myself? Quite not weird. What a weird question. I've never it thought is that. Odd. It's a good one because it's a tricky one. There's no right and wrong answer, is there? There you go. I'm not necessarily proud of myself, but I'm really proud of some of the stuff I've done. Most of the stuff I've done. 
I really am. I really, I can watch stuff back and go, I'm really, I'm, I'm really glad I did that. I love that. Yeah. You know, everything from the entire universe to or whatever, all the other stuff. But mm. yeah, I don't think I'm proud of myself. I'm proud that I'm still doing it and enjoying it. Are you surprised? Not really, because I think that, the, that nobody knows what's right or wrong in comedy. That's a given. Mm. And I think the only thing you can fall back on is experience. And the one thing that the Top Gear experience taught me was I, I after that experience, I had a real sense of calm over everything I do because it really isn't the end of the world if, end of the world if a guest drops out or something doesn't work or you have to recut something or you start the studio late whatever it is it, I, I because of experience if other people are going oh, what are we can do I say, okay well let's look at our options and it, I'm sort of I've become slightly unflappable I was flappable on Top Gear but I, I've become unflappable because there's kind of no point getting in a massive flap and I think the reason I'm saying I'm not surprised is because I think experience really does count for something in this industry. It doesn't mean to say I know any more than anyone else mm. down the corridor. I don't, but I have the experience where I've probably been in that situation before and, uh, and can, realize, can know how to get out of it, I suppose. Um, so, if, so if you had some young budding um, people who wanted to get into the telly business, mm. you, w- would you tell them from now just to relax or would you say no actually you've got to work your nuts off got to work your nuts off you've got to you've got to put your head above the parapet and work and that's why I'm that's why I've always championed and uh, admire what Selden Differ do you've never given up never given up do it again do it again go back do it again try this go down this route do this try again and you know that's what it's about yeah and that's a self-belief isn't it for a performer and I suppose you have to have a certain amount of self-belief as a producer because you can't go around thinking you're crap yeah, because you've got to instill confidence in the people you're working with. So absolutely. Um, no, and what's lovely is I'm, 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 there's stuff coming up that I really can't wait to do. Exec in the Baftas again, which is a really interesting show to do. Doing um, my dad wrote a porno for oh, really? HBO. Yeah, oh, producing amazing. a TV special for that. That's huge. It is huge, and I've never done a podcast before. It's a big live event. It's like brilliant, fantastic. There's always this one now. <laughs> yeah, sorry, yeah, of course. Yeah, no, that is that is great. So you know, really. Okay, brilliant. Me. Well, you just uh, you're literally in the edit now. Lisa, I am literally Lisa in the edit has now. Given me a time, and she's come out of the edit. Of... Not for free. Cost you quite a bit. Didn't it, it did. Yeah. yeah. Well, well, but thanks for that. Let's not say that on air. <laughs> um, are we allowed to mention in the second series? Or do you want me to cut this out? That you, that no, no, you can no. We're, we're, we're making the second series of Gone Fishing and um, don't know when it'll be out yet on BBC Two, but yeah, that was, that was fantastic fun to do. Again, something a bit different, no script, Yeah. put two funny guys with a sort of a little beat sheet of what you could talk about this, this and this, and you know, then try and catch a ruddy fish. For the people that haven't seen it, what would you, your elevator pitch be to, well, more of a blurb now because it's being made? Um, I think what people have liked about it is that it is not constructed. Mm. So it's not, go on a journey, you know, go and discover yourselves and find some fish. Like, it's, it's very, it's got a very light touch of a producer on it. Yeah. And... Paul and Bob are naturally funny and it's not forced and it's and also I just think it's it's lovely to be in the English countryside we'd shot one in um, Yorkshire it's beautiful 
absolutely, absolutely beautiful and yeah it's just a really nice I mean it's nice it's just it's very nice. relaxing it's very it? relaxing I found it and then that means the comedy kind of comes out of nowhere yeah and it's just not forced two funny men having a nice relaxing chat trying to catch, catch fish Lisa thank you very much my pleasure for joining us and, and uh, thank you for the you check all the best with, ev- with everything <laughs> in the future and thanks for giving me your time five out of five Five out of five. Uh, that's that's the review for the podcast, right? Where you need to yes, and my iTunes. score. Uh, yeah, absolutely fantastic. Five out of five. I'll uh, Jesus, I might even tweet it on the lever- leaderboard. Yes, top of the top of the board. Um, thank, thank you, you Matt. Fucking hell, that was a really interesting chat. That and God, I think you learned a lot, maybe more than I did. But seriously, though, I, I hope you enjoyed that. And if you did, please give me a five-star rating and, and maybe even a review on um, iTunes. You can contact me through so many different ways now. It's a crazy world that we live in, but you can get me on um, Matt Skinnerton Scleave It or Not, the Facebook page on, on Facebook, obviously. Uh, the Selden Differ page you can check out as well. Um, got a lot of our videos on there and our website, seldomdiffer.co.uk. Anyway, thank you for listening. Thanks always to my beloved Ryan Howes, producer. And here, as promised, is Old, that's A-U-L-D, with their debut track, Need Her Still. You can get down and watch them on the 20th of February at Paper Dress Vintage, where they will be launching their new album, and they will also have support from Emilio Inucci. And remember, as I've said to many nervous fishermen, seeing is scalaving. Cheers. Give me shelter and give me kiss and give me ticks on my bucket list. Fifty pound notes by the truckload. Oh my god, oh my god.
Oscar, leave it or not, I've just talked on air And I've probably drunk my tea I've chatted the breeze in my hope that you cared Who could it have been? Oscar, leave it or not, it was just me Thank you ladies and gentlemen, good night! <laughs>